and welcome back, and thank you for tuning in to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley, and today I'm speaking with a couple of researchers uh, on the weight of being too far in to quit and not far enough to retire, talking about well-being in today's atmosphere in law enforcement, and I'm speaking with Dr. Michelle Lilly. She's co-director in training uh researcher with the Training Research Institute for Public Safety, also known as TRIPS. And she's the Associate Professor of Clinical Psychology at Northern Illinois University. And I'm also speaking with Sergeant Sean Curry. He's also co-director of TRIPS, the Training Research Institute for Public Safety. And he's an active duty officer with the Peoria Police Department in Peoria, Illinois. And welcome both of you to the show. Thank you for having us. Thanks. It's it's certainly research that we could use uh, today and with law enforcement and public safety personnel being bombarded on every front. Um, it's it's really good to hear uh, what research says and, and maybe you can talk a little bit about your research and what officers can do to sort of um, self-care for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we uh, conducted a study. We opened a, um, a survey link for two weeks um, in August, and we collected data from uh, just over 1,300 active duty police officers um, across the country. And we used well-validated measures of depression, anxiety, stress, and PTSD, as well as asked some questions about things like work productivity or feeling trapped or hopeless at work uh, and barriers to seeking assistance. Um, and what we found is that, um, you know, police officers right now are really suffering. So we found nearly 47% uh, screen positive for PTSD um, using a well-validated measure by the National Center for PTSD. Mm. We found about 30, um, I think the number was 37% um, or 39%, I don't have the number right in front of me, screened um, as high in depression, depression symptoms, same for anxiety. Um, and so, you know, currently, you know, obviously 2020 has been a very rough year uh, for everybody, um, but particularly for law enforcement, I think right now there's such negative perceptions about law enforcement um, and it's taking a very serious toll on the mental health of individuals who work in law enforcement. Yeah, and it's, it's no surprise the, the high number of PTSD, not just in, in the one traumatic event that may trigger PTSD, but, but just sort of the accumulated stress of the, the things that we see every day in law enforcement. Did, did you notice any discernible um, triggers or anything that, that came up uh, repeatedly in this study? No, we didn't, uh, because we wanted to keep the survey very brief, we didn't ask about um, particular um, triggers or events. Uh, basically how we frame the questions is, you know, in the last in the last month, you know, given everything that's going on, um, you know, do you have these different symptoms as measured by um, the, our PTSD measure and our depression, anxiety, and stress scale? Uh, so we didn't actually assess for specific triggers because we wanted to keep the um, the survey very brief. And Sean, did did you help formulate the the questions, Sean? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> we went through and the PTSD assessment is a is a national nationalized assessment that's used by by professionals. And then some of the follow up questions that that we put into it um, that a lot of people were asking were 
um, how these guys felt as far as their job coming in. We were getting a lot of issues um, with people retiring probably before they normally would nationwide. Um, there's re- there's uh, recruitment retention issues nationwide. And so we wanted to kind of also look at these officers that are working, where's their mindset mm-hmm. as far as coming in and staying with us as a career, you know, how they feel about uh, the profession that they chose and, and um, try and pinpoint where maybe some problems might lie. So the purpose of the study is, is it informative or are you looking to solve some problems and, and work with clinicians to come up with some solutions? Well, you know, what we really wanted to do is measure how police officers are doing right now. You know, we there's a number of different studies from over the years looking at, for example, the prevalence of PTSD, mm-hmm. and that's ranged from anywhere between 7 and 35 uh, percent. But that's been at kind of standard policing times. Uh, what we really wanted to um, assess and measure is whether or not um, during a time of, I think we can all call relative crisis, um, of, you know, in our in our country, probably our globe, um, what uh, perceivable impact is this having um, on law enforcement. So I think it's it's largely informative and descriptive. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I'm also a licensed clinical psychologist in the state of Illinois. Um, so making sure that we're being clear about the impact that this is having. And, you know, as we go into the fall, there's going to be a lot of discussions regarding police reform, uh, and we think it's very important that mental health prevention and intervention for law enforcement remains part of that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And and we like you you describe um, New York had something like 400 people uh, uh, sign up to retire in in a month, and that that's continuing, and and we're seeing that across the board. Uh, what what surprised you from the the survey? You know, I think um, personally for me, I, I come from a background studying 911 telecommunicators, and I have actually never found a relationship between years of service and mental health. And so when we actually divvied up people in the study, and we found that those officers who were five to ten years in were at statistically greater risk for things like PTSD and depression mm-hmm. and feeling trapped and hopeless about their job, that was something that surprised me just based on the previous work that I had done in public safety. Mm-hmm. Um, then, of, of course, as we stepped back and thought about why is this um, age group at such part or this experience group at such high risk, it actually makes a lot of sense because um, these folks, again, kind of as the title suggests, they're they're too far into quit, but they're far away from retirement. So I think many of them are feeling very trapped and helpless in this occupation. Yeah, and we will make the link available to the podcast. But in in looking at some of the bar charts, um, it it seems to show that in in years of service, both the negative and the positive PTSD categories are in that sort of 11 to 20 year range that you describe where you're just sort of stuck in the middle. You, you, it is just like you you title it. It's too early to leave and you're too far into it to leave early. But then it seems after the 20 year mark, the numbers start to recede. Why, why would that be? Well, I think Sean can probably speak best to that because you're 23 years in. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the biggest factor, I think, once you hit that 20 year mark, um, especially in most states, and, it, and it's like this in Illinois, um, you, at that point, you're vested. If you if you had to go and, and seek other employment, you're vested in your pension. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to you're going to get a full pension at whatever age, depending on what state you're in, the um, 
you'll be able to get that contribution back, right? When you're between that 10 and 20 year mark, there's all sorts of penalties when to, to retire at that point. You might be vested in your pension, but it's a deferred pension or you don't get what you want. And, and so I think once these guys that hit that 20 year mark, um, and I've talked to a lot of them that, that are older officers that say, you know, if it, if it continues to get this bad, I'll just retire out. They can leave right. and and find some other means of employment to supplement their pension. When you got a guy that's 10 years, he can't. And um, those guys, you know, between that 10 and 20 year mark feel stuck until they reach that that goal of 20 years. Yeah. And did you consider that when you get to that halfway mark, um, perhaps some of the younger officers um, who had been in patrol are now transferring to other assignments or they're they're going to they're somehow figuring it out and, and maybe lessening the impact there it's having on them? Um, yes. and No. I mean, that's going to be department particular. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I can say. There's a lot of data and, and there's a lot of evidence out there, especially when there's calls for like defunding the police. Yeah. Since 2010, police departments nationwide have been defunded. Ever since the economic collapse of 2008, municipalities, counties, states have had to cut budgets drastically. Um, in the department that I work for, um, we've, we lost over 20% of our manpower. So for, for further defunding, um, the opportunity for these younger officers to move into a different division is harder because there's less workers, right? And, um, you know, th those cuts don't just go to a patrol unit, th they go across department-wide. So there's less chance for them, them becoming a detective. There might be less chance for them to get a different division or unit because there's less cops, right? The work hasn't gone down, but the number of officers who have to do the work have. And so it's put more of a burden on these guys. Um, so, but, you know, different departments depend on where you're at and budgetary issues that may not always be correct, but generally, you know, departments have gotten smaller. Mm -hmm. and, and as we know in, in studies and surveys, there, there are so many nuances. I'm wondering if, Dr. Lilly, did you notice or could you tell that the reporting was accurate or maybe underreporting because of stigma of, of uh, officers not wanting to, to ask for help or to even identify the, the situation they may be in? Yeah, I think one of the limitations of this study is of, is, of course, the fact that we used a convenient sample, which means that we reached out to all the people we knew and asked them to spread the link. Um, and it's possible that our, our rates are um, either higher or lower than the true point estimate mm -hmm. uh, because it's possible that people who are suffering saw that we were doing a study on mental health and said, you know, I'm going to participate in this and clicked on it. Um, but it might also be that people who are suffering would be less likely to participate because they don't really want to confront it or talk about it. Um, so, you know, what we can be assured of is anytime you have a larger sample um, in research, the more likely you are to probably get closer to what the true estimate is. Uh, but, you know, it is one of the limitations of the research using this convenient sample that, um, you know, that the rates that we found or the percentages could be, you know, plus or minus a number of percentages, uh, percentage points, um, depending on any one um, group that you're looking at. So, you know, for example, had we gotten more people from 
you know, the Chicago Police Department, which I think we did get a number of people, but, you know, they went through a really rough spell and continue to. Um, and having a large percentage of people within the sample uh, from departments that are probably more affected by recent events could could change, um, change the rates that you're seeing a bit. Um, but again, we did have a fairly sizable sample, and so we can be reasonably confident that um, our numbers are at least, um, you know, within range of of what the true accurate per percentage would be for LEOs across the country. Mm -hmm. Well, in taking a look to to try to understand if this is situational because of our current times, w were there any surveys similar to this, say five years ago, and will there be a similar survey? in another two or five years? Yeah, so, you know, they did a, um, a systematic review, Juan et al, um, a couple years ago, did a systematic review where they reviewed kind of all of the studies of prevalence of PTSD among law enforcement. And they found um, that the rates were typically about seven to um, 19 to 20% historically across studies that have looked at this. Mm -hmm. uh, there was one study by the Ruderman Family Foundation, although I, I cannot speak to what measure they use to assess for PTSD, they were estimating the rate to be about 35%. Mm -hmm. um, and again, our rate of PTSD was found to be 47%. Wow. Now, whether that means in a year from now that 47% of officers actually have PTSD is, is questionable, right? Because it could be that this is just acute stress that we're seeing in a time of crisis and, and chaos. And that um, if hopefully things um, calm down, hopefully, um, that, you know, there will be um, a kind of lessening of the of the distress that we're seeing. Um, so but but time will tell. Um, and through trips, we're interested in continuing to do um, to do follow up projects to continue to monitor on uh, the mental health and wellness of law enforcement. Yeah, that's great. So in in your study, in, in discussing your study afterwards, um, did you notice or did you compare uh, agencies that might have had uh, peer support programs or that they have a good EAP program? Did, did any of that come into your study? We actually did not measure, we did not measure that. Um, again, we wanted to keep it um, very um, brief um, so that it didn't take officers very long to um, to complete it. Um, so we did not ask about um, use of EAPs um, or peer support programs. Um, we did find that um, about 38% of our sample reported that um, they don't believe that their department provides adequate um, services for mental health. Mm. Uh, so that's a, a, a notable percentage. Um, I do know from other research that I've done in 911 Child Communicators, um, that having a formalized peer support program within your agency does seem to have salutary effects on, on mental health. Um, so having um, an agency that has a formal peer support program is associated with um, less PTSD, less depression, less stress, anxiety, more job satisfaction, less job turnover intention. Um, but we did not measure that in this particular study with law enforcement. Yeah, so wh where do we go from here? From I mean, these are staggering numbers of uh, PTSD in, in, in a time where the numbers are likely to rise because of the things uh, we're seeing, even the, the most recent things where we're seeing uh, places like Portland with, you know, 100 days in a row of protests and officers online every day. And now other current events that are also causing uproars in, in cities. 
Are the the numbers likely to get even worse? Um, my my prediction is I don't see them getting any better. Um, I mean we're we're in a period of time where during the outbreak of COVID, um, first responders, police officers, firemen, EMS, um, they the essential workers that were out there were propped up and and they were they were heroes because they're still going out there doing this job day in and day out. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, instantly there's social discord. And with the riots and the protests, um, this same demographic that was once within a matter of days um, seen as heroes now are, are being um, villains um, and and being blamed for um, all the ailments of society. And these guys come in day in and day out, um, getting verbally assaulted, uh, the pressures. They haven't had a break all year. I mean, you go in from COVID, most departments modified work schedules. And they continue to do so because of, of uh, the social discord. Had to continue you know, working longer hours, 12-hour shifts, longer days, less days off, canceled vacation time. Um, I don't know that it's going to get any better in the immediate future. But the one thing that I want to make sure that gets pushed is we have to start educating these officers on their mental fitness, educating administrators to make sure that Things get put in place, training, access to uh, medical services, those sorts of things. That way, these guys, when they start to feel that stress and those burdens, know how to get help, are trained to identify when either themselves or their coworkers are struggling, and then give them some sort of means to seek out um, whatever help that they may need. Well, this is great. Uh, research and it it sure, certainly shows a need for evidence-based research and may may actually be a tool um, to use in these um, legislative meetings when they talk about defunding or decreasing the size of police agencies when they're actually doing harm by decreasing the numbers and stretching the limits of of the officers that they have. So. In that vein, what's what's your next next project? What do you hope to to look at next? Well, we'll continue um, to do follow up projects on this. Um, you know, we're you know I am very interested in um, the role of a number of factors in in mental health among law enforcement, predominantly things like sleep. Um, I think um, there is a a culture within law enforcement um, that um, kind of ignores sleep needs, but we know that that's incredibly important uh, for the purposes of mental wellness and and well-being, uh, for recovery, uh, for sustainability. Um, And I think we're just at the, we don't know much about um, things that prevent um, sleep in law enforcement, of course, aside from the scheduling, which is a significant barrier to, um, to good sleep. Um, so I think that's that's one thing that we're we're considering. Um, we also uh, both are big supporters of peer support programming, um, mm-hmm. and through trips are in the process of developing a uh, peer support certification uh, training program. Uh, the goal of trips is to offer evidence-based training that's based on kind of scientific knowledge um, at low cost to agencies. And so um, seeking out uh, federal, state, and, and private funding to be able to support uh, to support these trainings. So those are probably our most immediate ne- next steps. Yeah, and, and all very worthwhile. It's, it's great work that you're doing. Um, 
Yeah, well, we had Dr. Stephen James from Washington State on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he went into the, some of the studies of the, um, the the sleep disruptions and fatigue and uh, the impact on the job and, and the, the personal life as well. So that was a good one. And certainly we, we could use more research there. Um, if someone was interested in being part of uh, one of your future studies, how, how would they uh, be part of that? How could they get into the pool? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, we would love to have um, a, a pool of willing participants. I think that, you know, as a researcher, that's always what we <laughs> that's always what we're begging people to do is to be willing to volunteer their time and, and energy. Um, if they go to um, www.trainpubliksafety.org, um, there's a contact us page um, where they can um, enter their information um, and let us know that they're interested. Um, they're also able to email me um, at mlily1 at niu.edu um, just to express their interest. Sean? Well, you know, yeah, they can, they can email me um, at the same um, website as TRIPS. Um, one of the things that, to touch base on previous question, if I could go back on that, sure. one of the things I would love and I think would be needed is to get some more mental health training at the academy level. Mm -hmm. um, so when officers, I know when I went through the police academy, there's absolutely nothing as far as keeping mentally fit. And I do think that needs to be pushed a little bit harder. And um, as far as future studies go, I, I would like to, to get a, a, some sort of a decent size sample and follow these guys through their career, you know, maybe, you know, test, test officers at the academy level, then again at five years, then again at seven years. To, to track and try and see like some long-term study to see how these guys develop over the course of a career in law enforcement. And I think that would help explain a lot of different um, aspects when it comes to high divorce rates, alcoholism, that sort of thing, and kind of track to see at what point do these guys start to, to break down with, the, with all the effects of a long-term police career. No, absolutely. And uh, great points. I have a colleague I teach at a university here, and uh, one of my colleagues is going to Sweden to study uh, a prison vacation uh, location where in Sweden they noticed um, that everyone in the country needs a vacation to sort of uh, recharge and retool, even the prisoners. So apparently they have a prison where regardless of your crime, you could go uh, camp and fish and recreate at a prison camp for two weeks, I think even with your family. So, I mean, once again, it shows, you know, our priorities in America where we defund the police, but um, we've got a different attitude towards um, you know, convicted offenders. Absolutely. So, so great work you're doing. I, I want to uh, give your website again. It's www.trainpubliksafety.org. And the study is called The Weight of Being Too Far In To Quit and Not Far Enough To Retire by Dr. Michelle Lilly and Sergeant Sean Curry. Um, great work by both of you. Um, send us the information. We'll post it with the podcast and uh, we'll keep in touch and find out what you're up to next. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much thank for having you. us. Thank you. And to our listeners out there, uh, take a look at the study. What do you think? How is it affecting you and the agency that you work for? Do you have supportive programs? Do you have 
optional time off for COVID-related or mental health-related necessity, let us know at policingmatters at police1.com. That's policingmatters at police1.com. Stay safe. 